Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. A new bookstore has opened this week in Dairy. The aptly named Buy This Book Bookstore has been beautifully renovated with floor-to-ceiling shelves filled with books. Well, book. As it turns out, the owner and operator, one Anthony Northrup, has filled every shelf with copies of the same book of his writing. The only way to escape the store once you've entered is to buy this book. Some attendees to the grand opening are still trapped inside as they refuse to read nonfiction. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And today we have a very special interview coming to us via phone. He is the author of Stephen King, Dollar Baby, the book, and runs one of the most prolific Stephen King webpages on Facebook, the All Things King Stephen King fan page. Please welcome to the show, Anthony Northrup. Hello, everybody. Tony, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are great. We are awesome. very, very excited to to talk to you. Would you go ahead and uh, take a quick second, and if, in case our listeners are unfamiliar with your work, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the author of the Stephen King Dollar Baby book uh, that came out January 19th of this year. I am the head of the All Things King Stephen King fan page on Facebook, and I am a contributor writer to the Tri-County Sun newspaper, which is our local newspaper here in North Dakota. Fantastic. All right. uh, Now we're going to get right into the thick of it. I'm going to turn it over to CM as she guards the rest of the interview. Tony, I have two very important questions to ask you. And these questions are a rite of passage for all of our interviewees. And for our listeners out there, what you don't know is that Tony currently is hanging above a giant swimming pool with a (laughs) shark floating in it. So if he answers incorrectly... Ugh, it's going to be bad, but I think he's going to answer correctly. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First question. What was your introduction to Stephen King's work? I was actually a fan of his films before I got into his actual books. I was nine years old when I saw The Shining in the movie theater, and I have been a fan ever since. But like I said, I grew up my 80s child, 80s generation. So I grew up in the 80s. So I watched his films mostly It wasn't until 1986 when Stand By Me came out, and that movie really hit me hard because I was in my teens in a very touchy time when you're a teenager, you know? So I didn't know he had wrote that until I saw it on the credits, and I ran out and grabbed the book, Different Seasons. And then a couple of years later, uh, when Pet Cemetery came out, I had to run right out and uh, grab that book after I saw the movie. And that is the only book to still, to this day, to scare the heck out of me. Uh, I even threw it across the room when I was finished with it. I know that's disrespect to books, I know. <laughs> but I did. And so ever since then, I have been a fan. And uh, I've grown as a fan over the years, from not just from the films to the books to a collector to a I call scholar, because I wanted to go past the books. I wanted to learn more about King's works, not just read them. So I've definitely developed as the years gone on from that nine-year-old boy who got scared of the Grady twins at the Overlook. (laughs) (laughs) That is a fantastic introduction to King's work, for sure. On our podcast, we like to talk about what we call Stephen King moments. 
And these are typically things in a king book that is kind of unique to him that sometimes seem mundane or they are just outright terrifying, but they stick with us. They like get in your head. It's almost like an earworm. You can't get rid of it. Do you have (laughs) a Stephen King moment from either a movie or a book? Boy, that's really hard to narrow down to just maybe one or two things because there's just so many of them but I'll do the best I can. On the movie uh, part of it, I would definitely have to say uh, the Grady Twins. <laughs> I don't know why you, uh, when I first yeah. saw them when I was nine years old, they petrified me. And that still scares me as even a grown adult because when they say, come play with us, Danny, what do they really mean? What are you going to do if, if Danny really went to go play with them? You know? <laughs> I'm afraid to even know. And it's just terrifying to me. And it always has been. So that's always stuck with me over the years. And then some of the serious things, too, like uh, when Gordy is crying with Chris at the end of Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very strong scene for a little boy to do. And I think every kid has had that moment where they've had a breakdown like that. So that really it made an impact on me as well. And as far as books go, I have to say uh, the Dark Tower uh, series. That has been a major major part of my Mm -hmm. life and just has hit me harder than any book ever has so hard that i have a dark tower tattoo the length of my leg (laughs) oh what that's awesome (laughs) from from the from the knee to the ankle the big long tall dark tower in roland and uh yeah so that shows you how much that story uh, influenced me and touched my heart you have passed the test with flying colors, especially with that last <laughs> oh, bit. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Do you think that the Grady twins ruined 80s children from having friendships? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, uh, they, they certainly would terrify any child. I know that I've talked to people over the years and I said, hey, what would you do if the Grady twins showed up one day in your living room or something? People would be petrified. So yeah, I, That would I be their home would, now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. you, you own my living room. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think they single-handedly, well, double-handedly made twins scary. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned The Shining, Pet Cemetery, Stand By Me. Are any of those, would you consider them your one of your favorites among his adaptations? Or do you have another that really stands out to you that you would consider to be your favorite adaptation? You know, when it comes to adaptations, I'm a very, very tough, dare I say, critic. Because uh, a lot of people say, well, it's not the book. They forgot this. Or they had yellow hair in the book and they have brown hair on the screen. <laughs> you know, it's very a touchy subject because there's hits and there's misses. For me, I love Shawshank, of course. Who doesn't? Mm -hmm, Uh, That would be number one, of course. The Green Mile, of course. And Stand By Me, as far as King's serious movies. But on the terrifying side, I would have to go, of course, with Pet Cemetery. But also on the TV adaptations. There's some great adaptations for television, like Mick Garris's The Stand, of course, is my number one favorite. I thought Mr. Mercedes was a great series. Uh, They did that very well. So it's just a a really hit and miss. Depends on uh, what which one you're talking about? I love because anytime I'm asked these questions, I have like five answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you so, can't just pick one. It's like a potato chip. You know, you can't yeah, just have one. <laughs> you really can't. Yeah, you and CM really speak the same language when it comes to questions. <laughs> and so I have a sort of an off script question for you because you mentioned you have the Dark Tower tattooed on you. You love those books. I think I read in, in your introduction or somewhere, maybe I'm following you on Facebook, maybe it was there that you have read through those books a lot, and they are my favorites. I have a gunslinger tattoo on me as well. 
What did you think of the movie, The Dark Tower? <sighs> you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that deep inhale really set the tone. <laughs> I'll be as kind as I can. <laughs> no, I, you know, like I said, the Dark Tower story has been a, a true big part of my life and in my heart. I love it more than anything in far as literature goes. I actually read that series every five years, and I just literally finished the seventh, the last book two weeks ago. So I won't read it again until five more years from now. It's just something that I like to do. It's some little tradition thing I've started. But as far as the movie goes, I, I had high expectations. I was excited, and I went and saw it, and I'm like, what did they do? What did they do? It's like they it's like someone either forgot to read all the books or they just went and picked what they chose people would want to see and then that's it. I mean, they had parts 1 and 4 and yeah. 7 all in an hour and 45 minute movie or something like that. And I'm like, you can't do that. It's it's no. And the audience lost it. And the diehard fans probably liked certain things about it. You know, certain cameos, certain nods, things like that. But, you know, the average moviegoer, they probably were like, what is this? I don't understand this at all. And because they didn't read the books, they, that's why they wouldn't get it. And mm-hmm. you can't put seven books in an hour and 45-minute movie. You just, you just can't do it. I, I was not uh, 100% happy with the movie, no. I feel similarly. I think they tried to somehow incorporate things that general audiences would like, which, like you said, they didn't because they didn't understand it, and that fans would like. And that's all I'll say because I, I, I love yeah. Stephen yeah, King we'll so be much. Kind. We'll be kind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, Hopefully, it's a stepping stone though, and right. because I thought the acting was really good, the gunslinger, ooh, he was amazing. Uh, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> yeah. was just Matthew McConaughey. I don't see him as okay. Anyway, yeah, I want him to just be Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> that's when I enjoy him. Yeah. <laughs> Would. Would you say that's your least favorite or are there, and I, I say least favorite, but I guess I mean the ones that we kind of groan at, we, we might still appreciate or like them in some way, but do you have any other adaptations that you're like, oh man, I hope they redo this because they missed the mark. Oh boy. Yeah. You can go back to the nineties when Graveyard Shift and The Mangler and Children of the Corn 1000, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that came out. You know, that Those are pretty bad. <laughs> And I know I'm going to be hated for this, but there actually were parts of the It remake that I didn't care for either. There were, I really had this love-hate relationship when the new It came out. I was really excited, but at the same time, I loved Tim Carey so much that there's no way nobody could replace him. For I sure. went and saw the movie, and I thought, you know, I liked the parts they took from the book, but I didn't like the parts that the director put in there that were not in the book. And so it was kind of a 50-50 for me. I've kind of grown to like it a little bit more the more I watch mm-hmm. it, but... The only uh, parts yeah. I didn't like was parts two. <laughs> yeah, part two was, uh, again, some of the scenes from the movie uh, that were in the book were good. And then mm-hmm. this whole carnival thing and all that whole part there. And even the, and the ending was way too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, well, it's hard. Like, especially I love that they tried for the format of one movie as kids, one movie as adults. But it really makes you realize that the kids side of the story is way more entertaining than the adult side. <laughs> Exactly. And, and and I think the, the kids, they seem to connect more as uh, not just characters, but as actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, But as the adults, it's just kind of like they didn't know what they were really there for. They were just 
it was really weird. <laughs> yeah. With some of the, the hits and misses that we've kind of talked about, in your opinion, what makes a good adaptation? Like when you are going to see a, a brand new adaptation, what are like the things you really hope to see as a as a major fan? When a fan, especially Stephen King fans, when they see an adaptation of his works, the first thing out of their mouth is it's got to be just like the book. But if you do something just like the book page by page, there's no surprises. There's no, you know, you know what's going to come next. You know what to expect. You know how the ending's going to be. And then that's that. And you're like, well, that was nice. But I've been there, done that kind of a feeling. Putting your, a director putting their own touch to it, their own spin to it is nice and, and refreshing. But for me, you got to be as close to the book as possible, but not maybe page by page. You know, just give mm-hmm. us what we want, but don't, don't make a Xerox copy or anything. But don't make it too different. Because then we'll get upset. <laughs> <laughs> We're hard to please. <laughs> right, exactly. We're we are. A fine line. We are hard to please. <laughs> I th- I, but I think you, you're right. You can still respect the spirit of the book and give your own spin to it. And there are certain directors, like I love John Carpenter adaptations. I'd love Cronenberg to do specific books because I think he would just break my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there are de- definitely people who I would... I would want to see their take on it. So I would expect and appreciate some differences. Right. Now, you talked about at the beginning of the show, the All Things King fan page. You've been running this for nine years. You have over 5,100 people on this page. What has that experience been like being this hub of Stephen King fans all around the world? Oh, tiring. No. <laughs> uh, I've seen how no, often uh, a day you post. I, I get that. It's definitely tiring. Well, I started ATK because I was actually on a different... Facebook was new to me nine years ago. I, I, I'm not a real social network type person that's just, you know, all electronics and so forth. So Facebook was very new to me. And I was searching around one day and I saw a Stephen King fan page. God knows there's plenty of them. <laughs> and um, I went to one and I had a lot of fun there but I wasn't happy there. And some of the people said, Hey, you should go do your own thing. So I thought, well, I'm, I, I don't know. I've never done this kind of thing before, but I said, you, what the heck, if I, if it doesn't work, I'll close it. And that's that. It was a lot of fun <laughs> for a couple of weeks. And so I started it and I opened it up and I just basically put things out there that I thought people would want to read or how I felt about King and his works. And next thing you know, people wanted to join and it snowballed and more and more people joined over the years. And I've had some great co-ads over the years who helped me out if I have to have a day off or, or so forth. And they do great work. And then also made lots of friends, a lot of friends over the years and people, members become friends with other members, which is great. It's all a big connecting family sort of thing. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work because after nine years, you know, there's just so much you can do with King's work. I mean, he's got a lot of work, but you got to come up with ideas every day to make it interesting and fun to keep the members keep coming back. But we have a good time over there and we try to educate the members as much as possible. I love when members tell me, hey, I didn't read that story before or I didn't read that short story before. Thank you for introducing that to me. I love that because that, you know, they never knew that before they saw it on our page. And that's, that's a great feeling. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that in my opinion makes your page stand out to other King sites that, you know, uh, you know, we're a Stephen King podcast. We've, we've jumped on plenty of them to, to network and, and meet new people. But I feel like a lot of them spend a lot of time on the, the hits on the big things. Everybody knows. I, I, 
can't tell you in just the past like few months that I've been a member of this page, some of the things you post where I'm like, I had, did not know that. That is like, yeah. <laughs> and it's I I found that uh, you have a real knack for finding things that engage people. So uh, yeah, so I I thoroughly enjoy being a member of this community. Well, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I think it's really neat your desire to collect you know, Stephen King things, including fans, which is really cool, all in this one place where everybody can have this community, books, memorabilia. I know people send you awesome stuff all the time, which is really cool. And in our studio where we're recording here, I have six bookshelves. They're like wall to wall and mostly Stephen King books that I've collected over the years. And so I... (laughs) I'm curious. I'm like dying to ask you about that collection. Like when when people feel the need to take that kind of fanatic ownership over something <laughs> they love so much to the extreme, kind of like I do. I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to call me out. I, I do. What, what do you think it is about Stephen King's work that inspires people to collect, to gather, to adapt things and, and just devour his work in every possible facet that they can. I think what it is, it's kind of like, let's take a, a new fan, for example. Let's take a, a first-time Stephen King reader. And they always come to, they'll come to our page and they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm new to King's work. What would you recommend? Or I, I've only read one or two of his books, but what would you recommend? And the, the members come out in droves and they say, oh, you must start with this, 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 and this. And a lot of them always do the same thing. They don't hit them with the big, thick books first. They go with the little books. They go with the classic stuff. I personally always recommend the short story books all the time because I think that's a great introduction to a fan who's just starting out. And then what happens is that gives them an idea of what King is all about and what he can do and the kind of stories he tells. And then it just kind of escalates from there because next thing you know, that reader is all of a sudden going to the thrift stores or the used bookstores or Amazon and then buying everything he's written because of what we recommended and they loved it so much. So it's always good to hit them with some good stuff in the beginning don't hit them with the thick stuff until a bit later. Uh, and then when they're ready, they'll take on, you know, it or under the dome or the stand, you know, the, the monstrosity size thing you, know? <laughs> you use for a doorstop. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just kind of escalates. It's kind of like kind of grooming the fan, so to speak. What is the, what's the short story that you are to a new fan that you're like, that you read this, this is the one. Oh man, you're, that's cruel. That's cruel. <laughs> that. That's not even fair. You can ha- you <laughs> or, can have five answers. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah, or or which or He's which collection? <laughs> which collection of short stories? If we well, if you want to go broad, I I love the short stories. I I love the short stories so much because it's such a variety. And King can write something completely terrifying. He can write something really gross, or he can write something very sensitive and emotional. But I always recommend right off the bat, Night Shift and, and Skeleton Crew. Right off the bat, I think those are his absolute best work as far as short stories go. Not saying that the other stuff isn't good. I'm just saying this is his tippy-top best, you know? Mm -hmm. And then out of those two books, I always recommend people to read The Mist, The Monkey, Survivor Type, Rainy Season, which is in a different book, but still. Uncle Otto's Truck, Last Rung on the Ladder. The list goes on and on. But those two books for sure, Night Shifting Skeleton Crew, you give those two books to somebody, and when they're done, they're going to be just craving for for more. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Those are great choices. Of all of the things you, the your collection, what is your like holy grail prized possession of all the things you've collected over the years? Oh man. 
<laughs> that's tough because I won't lie to you. My collection, you know, it went, like I said earlier in the conversation, it went from books, uh, movies to books and then to collectibles. But right now, my collectibles is just a huge pile right now. I have so much stuff from bumper stickers to buttons to T-shirts to you name it. And I think probably my, my two most biggest holy grails would be, well, one would be my tattoos. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, have, I have a lot of Stephen King tattoos. I probably have more Stephen King tattoos than anyone you'll ever meet. I am not lying. Um, that's amazing. And then the other thing would be uh, something that's not written by King, but from someone else. My good best best friend, Stephen Spignesi's book, The Complete Stephen King Encyclopedia. To me, that is the holy grail of my collection because... I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or if your your listeners are. Stephen wrote that book in the 90s. It is a monstrosity-sized book, <laughs> and it is in itty, itty tiny print, too, so it takes a really long time to read it. But I learned so much from that book. It really made me want to be more of a king scholar than just a fan. And mm-hmm. I think I think the safe to say that encyclopedia is my my number one favorite collectible. Did he sign it for you? No, <laughs> no, he, he did not. But uh, I do have other books by him that he has signed. So that makes up for it. Oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> now, you talked about in uh, in the Dollar Baby book, and we talked about it earlier about Stand By Me and what that experience was. Now, what was that experience like for you going to see Stand By Me and then reading The Body for the very first time? Like I said, you know, that came out in 86. I'm going to age myself here. I was 14, 15 years old. And, you know, when you're in your early teens, you're going through a lot of changes, a lot of growing, a lot of things going on, hormones, things like that. And that movie came out at the right time in my life. It just did. And when I saw it, it just impacted me like no other film had before that. And I had to, I had to have the book. When I saw that King wrote it, I'm like, he wrote this? This isn't horror. This isn't scary. But it was a different kind of scary. It was on the human side, you know, of the of being bullied and, uh, of course, the dead body and, and everything. But I bought the book right away, different seasons, and I read the body. The story is great, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone in case anyone hasn't read it, but I did like what they did with the ending as far as what happened to the four boys later on. Mm-hmm. So I really like that a lot. I'm one of those kind of fans that I always want to know, well, what happened next? Kind of a fan. Yeah. So that was at the end of this story, and I really like that. It, it just means it's a very special time in my life whenever I talk about Stand By Me. And when an adaptation comes out, the reading it and watching it, like feeling out those those differences, has, with that being your first experience... Has that kind of changed how you see adaptations after you read them? Because I'm assuming by now you've read everything before you've seen the adaptation. Well, yeah. I mean, Christine, for example. I saw Christine the movie first in 1983, and I loved it. I love John Carpenter. I've met John Carpenter before. He's a wonderful person. And then years later, I read the uh, paperback, and I was like, hmm. I like the movie better. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, there were certain parts of the book were good, but there was too many changes. And I liked Carpenter's adaptation better. Same thing with Sean Shake. I love Sean Shake to death, but Frank Darabont did a immaculate job. And the story is great, but there was just enough changes in it that I liked, you know, the movie better. And that happens sometimes. Those are two amazing examples because we felt the same way. I lost my mind. I watched, I watched Christine for the very first time after reading it for the very first time on the show. And I just, yeah, that movie's great. I always say that, if, you know, I'm, I'm a, a big sequel fan. I love sequels if they're done right. And I'm always kind of, you know, a little touchy when it comes to any kind of a Sting se- Stephen King sequel because there's not that many, but there are some. And I always felt if it was done right, 
they could make a sequel to Christine and I would be a hundred percent in because, <laughs> you know, can imagine what they could do with the, uh, you know, with the effects today, you know? Oh, no yeah. kidding. That'd be amazing. So speaking of adaptations, we've kind of talked about the, the big ones that everybody knows about. But the reason that we're talking to you today is because we were sort of introduced to you through discovering this whole dollar baby community. And you were just recently one of the hosts for the Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Festival. What was that experience like for you? Because I know you did some back in 2014 and 15. It, was it a lot different? It's I know it's a very different time. And I'm sure that that kind of impacts that experience in some way, too. Yeah, I did. In 2013, I covered the Crypticon Horror Convention based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They had been around for many years uh, where fans can come and meet celebrities of the horror genre and Q&As and pictures and buy collectibles and so on and so forth, big parties. I did such a great job covering that for a local newspaper that they asked me to come back the following year. During that year, from 2013 to 2014, I was in doing the Dollar Baby interviews and film reviews. So I had done enough that, and I was welcomed in that community so much that I reached out to one of the head Dollar Babies and I said, hey, could we do a Dollar Baby Film Fest at Crypticon? They did all the meetings and the right uh, procedures and so forth. And they said, yeah, we can do this. So in 2014, I did the first annual Stephen King Dollar Baby Film Fest at Crypticon. And it was a really great time and a big hit. And they liked it so much, they said, would you come back and do it again next year? So I went back in 2015, and I did it again then. And it was even a much bigger crowd, more movies to show. We had some giveaways. We had a lot of fun. And uh, it was just a real joy. I wanted to focus more on writing. So I didn't go back to doing Crypticon that fourth year. I just kind of wanted to take a little break for a while and focus on my own writing. When... I did my book and it came out and everyone uh, uh, enjoyed it and so forth. And I was in, asked to be part of this Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Fest online a couple of weekends ago. I was very honored, very thrilled. And we had a wonderful time. It was a great time. It was different because it was online as opposed to being in person like I did with the other fest. You know, there's this kind of a unspoken sadness because, it, you know, of the, what's going on right now with the pandemic and everything. And everyone would have loved to have been in person that weekend, of course. But this was the next best thing. And the reaction of the viewers and the fans around the world was overwhelming. It was like a tidal wave of reaction. And, and we, the four of us, me and the three other hosts spoke about this afterwards. And we don't really... It's hard for us to sink in how much good we did for the Stephen King fans around the world. The reactions and the emails and comments of people saying, thank you for doing this. We've never heard of these films. We've never seen these films. We don't even know what the dollar baby is, but you guys brought it to us and we thank you for that. And the, uh, it was just overwhelming and, and quite emotional as well. Also, for me personally, I have interviewed about all the filmmakers from that weekend for my book. And, it would, and I'm friends with them on Facebook. But it was also kind of like a reunion in a way for me because I've talked to them through messages and so forth. But to see them on screen and talk to them, it was like seeing an old friend or something. You know, it was like a reunion. <laughs> and uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun for me because I had that already previous friendship with them before that weekend. So it was a great experience. It was a wonderful time. And we just hope that everyone else enjoyed it. Which, and we hope to do it again soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, that's also something I really enjoyed about the, uh, the interviews you did on there was that you could really feel that how excited you were to be talking to them and like the rapport you had with them already. 
led to like really just very casual feeling interviews. And it was just it was nice to see these filmmakers get a chance to have that spotlight and just gush about their project. It, it was. And I, I mean, a side that I was nervous as all get out, like I said, I'm not a, a, a social <laughs> butterflyer on that sense at all. So I was very, I'm sure a lot of people saw that I was a bit on the, the nervous side, but I, as the weekend went on, I relaxed a little bit, but that's another thing I, I just want to mention real quickly is that's what these filmmakers love so much that we've done. Uh, not just with that festival and the other festivals I did. And in the book that I wrote is that, you know, they had these movies that nobody saw unless you went to a film fest. You know, this is this is before COVID, of course. But unless you went to a film fest, you never saw these movies. So when we were able to bring them into the spotlight a year, two years, 10 years, you know, down the, uh, from when they made those films, they're like, you know, you want to interview me or you want me to be part of this fest? They felt like stars in their mm-hmm. own right, you know, and that makes you feel really good because they deserve that spotlight they need to be recognized and i'm glad that we were able to do that for them yeah absolutely like some of those films just completely blew me away it was above and beyond anything that i was expecting uh, there there's so many great talents out there uh, these dollar baby filmmakers are truly amazing filmmakers and it really is just mind-blowing of some of these adaptations you look at them and you're like oh my you know goodness it looks like something you see it in the movie theater you know it's just the quality and the everything they put their heart and soul into it and it's just it's a great experience as we talked about you you literally have written the book on dollar babies anybody listening they can go and they can buy your novel stephen king dollar baby the book what was it like getting to see and interview dollar babies so long before most people even knew they existed well it was humbling for one thing that uh, that this community brought me in and they trusted me and we became friends and even in some cases even more than just friends more like family in some in some of them but when i was first brought into that circle so to speak i was just very thankful and very humble and i wanted to do these filmmakers right i wanted to give them the the respect and write their story in in the sense of what they did to make their movies come true to make their dreams come true i wanted to know everything and i wanted to bring that to the world and say, hey, this person went out there, they grabbed a camera, they made their dream come true, and this is what the result is. It's a wonderful film. Check it out. And uh, th- that's what the book is really all about. Is It's them. It's for them. It's a love letter to them. Talk a little bit more about that for our listeners. What can they expect when they pick up the book? There is 55 Dollar Baby interviews that filmmakers that I have interviewed over the last uh, eight years. There are 57 reviews. One of the filmmakers wasn't able to, wasn't available in their schedule to do the interview. So there's more film reviews than, than interviews. And then there was one film review that I did of Frank Darabout's uh, The Woman in the Room that I wanted to give that its own spotlight. But besides reviews and interviews, there are special features in there as far as what my experience was like hosting the Dollar Baby Fest at Crypticon. There are essays from the biggest names in the industry, like uh, Mick Garris, Tommy McLaughlin, Richard Chesmar did the forward, Stephen Spinesi did the introduction. And there's a lot of uh, stuff in there from the fans themselves, their experiences of King how he had touched their lives. There's also a where are they now section because I always thought that would be great to find out what happened to these dollar babies after their film came out, which I think is a really fun chapter. And there's a lot of personal stories in it as well. I wanted to cover every possible angle that I could of the dollar baby world. And I think I've done that with this book. But I think a lot of people, they really love the essays because essays cover a lot of different areas and subjects, but it all wraps around Stephen King and 
films and all the babies. I really, I really enjoyed the epilogue, basically, where everybody had a chance to kind of say what they were up to, what they were up to now, how the, how that had all been. And between those, the reviews and the interviews, because we saw several of these during the Stephen King Rules Film Festival, and getting the chance to read these interviews and see the movie, like seeing it all come together is such a special feeling because until this festival, really, so few people had ever gotten the chance to see any of these. I I love that it's this love letter to people whose art was never, people who read this book, odds are we're never going to see any of these and now they had a chance to. And that had to be just such a rewarding feeling. It was, it was. And, and I'm, like I said, the, the comments that we received and the emails and the, all the response that we got from around the world. I mean, there were people that said, Hey, you know, I'm checking in from Taiwan or I'm checking in from Germany or, you know, they were all letting them just know where they were coming from and saying how much they were enjoying and having such a great time. And some people didn't want it to end. <laughs> <They're> like, oh, <laughs> no, no. Come back next weekend, you know. Just to, to make that kind of a impact on people is just, it's rewarding. It really is. And I, and I owe a, a life debt to uh, James Douglas and Norm and Leah, uh, my co-host, for having me on board for this. Uh, it was just it was a really great experience. What was it like putting this book together like when you'd done all these interviews? Because you didn't do these interviews in order to make a book. You made a book because you did all these interviews. What was that process like when you finally decided, all right, this is going to be a book. I have all the stuff. What even goes in it? Well, I was doing these interviews and reviews, like I said, since 2013. And I had so many built up and shared with the friends to read and enjoy. And a writer friend of mine said to me, hey, you've got to do something with these. These are too good to just sit around and do nothing with. You've got to do something. I'm like, well, what do you, what should I do? You should do a book. And I'm like, well, I don't know about how to do a book. I don't even have a publisher. And he goes, let me, he goes, let me talk to my publisher and we'll go from there. Well, I don't go into great details, but one thing led to another and I got a contract publishing deal. And that was that. Once I got the signed contract publishing deal from Bear Manor Publishing, you know, the book was ready to go. It's like, okay, you got the deal. You need to put it together. I wanted to do more than just the interviews and reviews. I wanted to put everything I can think of that covers the dollar baby world into this book from every angle, every subject, everything you can think of and just put it all in there. I mean, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go feet first all the way. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I had a lot of the material already, but there was also a lot more writing to do on top of that and getting the contributors involved. So about nine, 10 months, the book was done. And he said it came out in January of this year. I'm proud of it. It's it's an accomplishment. It was a dream come true. I've always wanted to have a book out since uh, I started writing as a hobby back in 1990. 30 years later, it, it happened. <laughs> so it's uh, it was a life goal that came true. It was a dream come true. That's amazing. What was it like reaching back out to those filmmakers? They, you know, it could have been years between the last time you talked to them doing these interviews to reach out to them again and be like, hey, by the way, I'm I'm doing a book. Do you want to write some stuff? Like, what was that experience getting to, like, reconnect with all those people with this big goal on the horizon? Well, a lot of a lot of them I stay in contact with on a regular basis anyway. So they, you know, here and there, uh, happy birthdays, Merry Christmas, things like that. And, <laughs> you know, keep in touch with them. I always believe in keeping in touch with people, even if you, uh, if it's for, even far between. But uh, some of them I hadn't heard from in years since we did that interview. But uh, I, once I had the book deal and I knew what I was going to do with it and what was going to be in there, I reached out to him and said, hey, I got a, I'm doing a Dollar Baby book and I want to you to come back. And there's some things, very cool uh, features in the book that I want to 
have you be part of? And uh, they said, yeah, absolutely. Everybody was on board. Everyone was excited to be back. No one said no. And everything was, everybody was thrilled and excited. I mean, more than anything, they were curious. They were saying, well, what, what is this going to be? You know, what are you doing? You know, and once it was done, the reactions were great and everybody was happy with it. That was my main goal is for everyone to enjoy it and be happy with it. But uh, it was nice to reconnect with a lot of them who I hadn't heard with in years. So uh, that was that was a great feeling, too. Now that it's it's been out since January. So what has what's the fallout been like? What's the, the reception to the book from the community? Uh, the reception has been great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. First of all, it was uh, it was number one at Amazon when it came out, which was uh, mind blowing. I yeah, can't believe to see uh, my book at number one on Amazon. <laughs> never think I'd never see that in my lifetime. And then uh, I was number one in March for Bear Manor Publishing. Since then, uh, just doing a lot of interviews. I've done several interviews now. My first podcast. You guys are my first podcast, by the way. What? Um, <laughs> That's super exciting. <laughs> you have that honor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And um, and just a lot of promoting and, uh, you know, the, the, as far as the fans' reaction to the readers and the Dollar Babies themselves, everyone's enjoyed it. Everyone's had a, a really liked it and everyone's just been very, very supportive. And that's great. You've gotten to know all of these people personally, and I'm, I'm sure that that's going to make this next question very difficult. And because I feel like we are kindred spirits, I'm going to rephrase it from how I was originally <laughs> going to ask it for you. <laughs> Top five favorite dollar babies. What? Oh, which dollar baby is fair. among... <laughs> not, no, you, don't even, you don't even have to name five, just one of them that is in the top five. Ah, <laughs> oh, you kill me. That's I, not I tried. I, I tried to make it better. <laughs> I, I love, you know, I've seen 57 of these. I love them all. They're all unique and entertaining in their own way. But if I had a, you know... Uh, you know, hot poker in my neck uh, going to go through if I don't give you this answer. So I, I will do say this in no specific order in that top five. I'll say, there you go. I'll save myself. Um, <laughs> I would definitely say uh, Billy Hansen, survivor type, of course, uh, right up there. Uncle Otto's truck by Brian Johnson and Peter Holland is brilliant and perfect. Rainy season is a favorite of mine. That's very creepy. And uh, let's see, the last rung on the ladder, James Cole, the godfather of Dollar Babies. I was so happy mm-hmm. to see him and interview him on the uh, Film Fest that weekend. And, and it was so great that he was there because he was one of the very, very originals uh, back in the 80s. And so many fans and viewers were like, thank you for letting us see the last rung on the ladder because we've been wanting to see this forever. And this is our chance. So that was a wonderful thing for the fans and for James. And I also really like One for the Road by uh, J.B. Horning. I think that's a great uh, adaptation, and uh, it's a sequel to Salem's Lot. Uh, and it's, <laughs> yeah. I think he did a really good job with that. So there's just so many, but those are some of the highlighted ones. Yeah, there is no wrong answer. And all of the ones <laughs> you listed are so amazing. And I honestly would have accepted your top 57. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, they, they, they all did great work, and, they, and they're, they just... I've got nothing but love for them all. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, Luke, because we had, uh, you know, we, as people who followed us and followed the film festival, we were writing those haikus for all of the films. And on social media, people would occasionally comment because we gave everything five out of five blue chambray shirts. And they were like, why does everything get five out of five? And we were like, with Dollar Babies, Dollar Babies are passion personified. You sacrifice so much to make a movie that can only be seen in very specific conditions. That love and that dedication deserves nothing less than to be five out of five or 
to be in, in your top 57 favorites. <laughs> I mean, hands down. Exactly, exactly. So as we're wrapping this up, when I feel like your answer is going to be what my answer would be, which is just Stephen King. But <laughs> what what is <laughs> what are you interested in right now? What's coming up next for you? Well, like I said, right now I'm st- I'm still kind of just riding the the promotion wave, so to speak, because uh, there's still some more interviews lined up. Probably, uh, of course, the biggest news right now is I'm doing my very first in store book signing. Uh, which is on May 8th, this coming Saturday, at Ferguson's and More Bookstore in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I'm very excited about this because this is one of the first in-store book signings um, because of what's going on with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Everything's been closed or canceled or whatever. So some of these stores are starting to do these events again. And I was so happy when Ferguson said, yes, we would love to have you. And it's not just a book signing. I'll also be doing a Q&A session and a lecture session uh, about the book itself and about King's works. So it's more than just a book signing. And then I have a few more book signings that I'm working on for the summertime, possibly at uh, Barnes & Noble, which is uh, the next one I'm working on that I might be in. And uh, that'll be in Fargo, North Dakota. And then after that, I'm just kind of uh, getting the things together for my uh, next book, which I don't want to reveal anything just yet, but I'll just (laughs) say that I'll still be wandering around the Stephen King universe. I'll just say that much. (laughs) Perfect. That is exciting. I'm already in the car. (laughs) (laughs) You're already in the car. (laughs) We'll we'll have food. (laughs) (laughs) We look forward to getting uh, an exclusive sneak peek when that new project comes up. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you guys will be one of the that first to know bold. for sure. Yeah, I, I always I, I like to end the interviews in a really bold way. Just, just demanding. Demand <laughs> demand some sort of promise. Because uh, you've already spent an hour with us and don't want to ruin it now. I mean, no, come on. <laughs> See, I, no, you thought okay. I, I was I the mean talk, one. I can talk for another 20 minutes. I, I've got nothing else to do right now. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us. Thank you for everything you've done for the Stephen King community. You have left an impact in this community, and it is so cool to get to sit down and talk to somebody who not only has put in all this work to make the Stephen King community stronger, but you're just, you're so damn humble and nice about it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's that's very kind of you to say. And, and, I just really appreciate all that's uh, come my way, and uh, I just really hope that people enjoy the book. A lot of people have so far, but uh, there's a lot of new listeners out there that uh, I hope they will grab it and, uh, and pick it up and uh, enjoy it just as much as I enjoyed writing it. I put a lot of love in it, a lot of passion, a lot of personal things in it. And you guys, Dairy Public Radio, you guys are awesome. You guys uh, not only cover the convention, the film fest, but you guys are doing great stuff with the Stephen King community itself as well. So kudos to you guys for doing what you do. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode. For CM Alexander and Anthony Northrup, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, Stephen King, Dollar Baby the Book is available on Amazon. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Anthony. We had a wonderful time getting to know him. If you are not familiar with his book, Dollar Baby the Book, we highly recommend you check it out. You can find it on Amazon and in bookstores. And if you haven't already, join us in the All Things King, a Stephen King fan page Facebook group. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.